the relationships that we were able to build in just one week um, were just so incredible. It feels like we've known these people for so much longer, even though it was just only one week that we spent with them and um, in, in Ganatayak. Meeting all these pastors who came from miles and miles and miles away. Um, some of them, you know, had transportation like a bike, but some of them, a lot of them, traveled by foot and uh, over, you know, rough terrain. And, you know, it's, it's warm and humid and they had to, you know, um, you know, go through all that every day to get there. And yet they always were super joyful and excited to meet us and uh, greeted, greeted us with a big grin on their face and um, wanted to know all about us, wanted to know our names and, you know, all about our family. And they wanted to, you know, see pictures of our family and just they wanted to um, spend, you know, spend as much time with us as possible and learn as much about us as they could. It, you'll be amazed on what it does for you and what you're doing for the people there. It's an amazing trip full of amazing experiences and you really can't um, fathom how much uh, the magnitude those experiences are gonna have on you, have on your family, have with your church community and have in the impact in Kenya with the people that you encounter. And so I would encourage anyone who's um, Melissa knows this, I, I talk with to everybody about Kenya and about my experiences there and I encourage everybody who would have an interest in that uh, to go for it because it really is life-changing. The mission trips to Kenya change lives. They change the lives of the Kenyan people that are there, but they change the lives of those of us who go. We are forever changed. When Mike went three years ago, he reaffirmed his salvation on that trip. He came home and got baptized. Not a lot of people know that. And um, so, and it changed, so it changed our relationship with each other in our marriage. It changed his relationship with God. It changed, it, and now my trip has changed my relationship with God because it makes you more grateful and thankful and mindful of the things of God. When it comes to worshiping with the Maasai, at first you might notice some of the differences like the building or lack of building, our clothing, um, our language, maybe even our skin color, but all of those differences quickly fade and become meaningless when you start to feel the energy that is just pouring out of them. Um, when words can't be your form of communication, you find other ways to make that connection point. And so your smile, your body language, your energy become that point of connection. And the Maasai are the greatest at having energy for worship and it's contagious. Um, before you know it, you are singing and dancing right alongside them. You might not know how to sing it, um, but what you can feel is their passion and intensity behind worship and know that we are loving and serving the same God. Think about how you can get involved in global missions, either by giving financially or by praying for our mission partners, or maybe for you, it's time to consider going on one of our global missions trips. I believe that we will be taking many more teams to Kenya. And so if you're interested in learning more about going on one of our mission trips, you can go to firstdecatur.org serve, where you can learn about how to serve in our church, in our community, and around our world.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church again today. To everybody here in the West Auditorium, it's great to see you on Mother's Day. To everybody joining us online and everybody in the East Auditorium, to those of you in the East Auditorium, it was my pleasure to be with you just a few minutes ago. And so um, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and it's good to have you here. And um, before we step into looking at the book of Proverbs today, I'm aware that Mother's Day um, can 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 be a little bit difficult in some settings because you have these wonderful stories of these hallmark traditions and, and the cards and the gifts and everything. But for some, um, there are ladies who didn't ever have a child, maybe women who lost a child, maybe men whose mother wasn't exactly what they had hoped it would be. And, I mean, it, it, there are all kinds of areas that, that today could go awry in some people's lives. And so in that, in that respect, I'd like to have a prayer with you right now, sort of, if you will, a pastoral prayer to um, um, both celebrate but at the same time cover. Does that make sense? And let's do that together. Lord, there are people here today, online, in the auditoriums, and uh, mothers who we celebrate and mothers who we say, man, they, they just knocked it out of the park. And yet, at the same time, we realize, God, there are settings that are a little more difficult for some people as well particularly on a day like this where maybe they've recently lost their mother or things didn't go through life the way in which they had hoped or they don't fit the Hallmark card look. May you graciously help us to be loving people. May you continue to cover us with your care in every event of life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So get out your Bible or your smartphone, please, and uh, turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is the, almost in the, book, in the middle of the book. Um, look for the book of Psalms, which is the big book in the middle, and it's immediately after that. Many of you know, as you're looking for uh, Proverbs, may know that I've been in ministry since 1978. It's a long time. Some of you looking around weren't even born back then. I'm, and um, so I would say, if that's the case, don't worry. You didn't miss too much. Well, there are some things you missed. You missed the Cold War. Apparently, though, don't, don't stress about it, because we're about to have another one, so you'll catch up very quickly. You missed something really important if you were born after 1978. You missed the Beatles. That was important. You might have missed Discomania. And the Gibbs Brothers Band, some of you may know the Gibbs Brothers, what they were called, the Bee Gees, right? There were other brother bands that came along, like the Jackson Five and the Osmond Brothers, and that other brother group called the Doobies, the Doobie Brothers. You missed Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. You missed Margaret Thatcher, maybe. You also missed much of John Paul uh, II, the Pope, John Paul II. You missed much of his ministry. He's dead now, in case you didn't know that. Um, as are a couple of the Beatles, some of the Gibbs, and uh, Michael Jackson, he's dead. They're all flying up there somewhere. I suppose the Doobie Brothers are flying up there as well, somewhere or other, but that's a different matter. <laughs> so you're wondering, what kind of preacher is this? It's a preacher who was born well before 1978 is what you've got. <laughs> so John Paul II, the Pope, um, uh, he had a remarkable ministry. One of the things that was really um, important to him was that he wore plain shoes. So he had the regular papal robes and hats and all the stuff that spoke of pomp and circumstance and hierarchy and tradition. But he said, I'm going to wear regular shoes in an act of humility. It was a little bit controversial. He just had brown shoes that he wore. He would not accept the trappings 
of his authority and his power. And yet you should know something happened in his last act of ministry. It was a little bit different. The last sight we saw of John Paul II, his last act of ministry, the last moment of power as he lay in his casket in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome was they put red papal shoes on his feet in his coffin. And the red shoes indicated that his ministry was done, he was finished, he was kaputz, it was over. So I've, I've thought about that of late. <laughs> Not that I'm saying anything, but it just has occurred to me. Um, so I'm not done. I'm not done. But I'm stepping down as lead pastor at the end of June. And many of you have asked, seriously, I get asked this question again this morning. Are you counting down the days yet? And I can honestly tell you, I'm not doing that. I am counting how many sermons are left. For this reason in mind, there's still so much I want to cover. And I want to tell you, we're not going to get to it all. My task today, though, is to preach and to open God's Word for all of us to ponder and allow it to change our lives. And so basically, I'm in charge of helping you and me learn a little more of God's plan for us as we continue to review this series called Proverbs, The Art of Living Wisely. And I want you to get, I want, I'm actively asking for your help with today's sermon. We're trying an experiment. <laughs> Wayne, why are you trying an experiment this late in your pastoral ministry? Because I can do that. But nonetheless, I'm hoping I can. Here's what we're doing today. I've got some beginning remarks about Proverbs planned, and I've got some closing remarks about Proverbs planned. But in the middle, I'm asking you, what about Proverbs do you want me to explain? So we're doing today's sermon. It's not because I haven't wanted to prepare, but we are doing, I've sort of overprepared. What, what, we're doing this on the fly. So what I want you to do is find a proverb from the book of Proverbs, text the chapter and the reference to the church's phone number. Get out your phone and um, 217-875-3350. Whatever proverb you'd like me to take on, we'll see what we can do. And online, we invite you to do the same thing in the East Auditorium. You already know about this, so hopefully you've already started sending in those texts. And um, we're going to curate and collect all those requests, questions that you have, and uh, we'll see what we can say today about... The theme of what today's message is this, is that how does an older person view this book of Scripture and say, Wayne, you're only in your 60s, you're not that old. Well, I would acknowledge that. I feel very young. But if you think about it from the perspective of the age of people in Scripture, most people died before they were 40. Now, there were lots of people who lived into their 60s. But if you got to be 60, you had beaten the odds and you were considered old. There are people in the scripture who are in their 80s, of course, but generally, most people, once they got to be about 40, that was more or less the end of their life. That was the end of their lifespan. So someone my age would be considered some man, you've lived so long, you should have some wisdom, some better understanding of how to do life. And since looking around up here today, I'm the old guy here, I'm taking the challenge. This isn't a stump the preacher moment, but we might get close. So as you're looking through what you would like us to examine in, in, in Proverbs 217-875-3350, there's, there's, there's this understanding within Proverbs that the book of Proverbs is coming from some older men, particularly three different men who do most of the writing, and it's focused on them giving wisdom and counsel to people who are younger. 
That's our plan today. We read it in, Psalm, in Proverbs chapter 3. My son, don't let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. There'll be life for you. An ornament, it'll be like, like a necklace around your neck. And if you pay attention to wisdom from some of the older people, then you'll go on your way in safety and your foot won't stumble. And so while you're making your plans for what you're going to text to me today, I, I would remind you of what both Pastor Brian and Dave Stone have said to us in recent weeks, that the primary concern of Proverbs is this, that just as there is wisdom literature and sort of proverbial things from other cultures and other religions, if you will, in, in the ancient days, and we have Proverbs in our day too, we, like here's a proverb, um, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. We, that's an American proverb. So, so they, there are other, organ, other cultures, if you will, that have these proverbs. But the idea always is how are we going to help younger generations live well? But the book of Proverbs, per se, is unique compared to all the other ones of the ancient world. The emphasis is always on live this way so you can worship God, the only true source of wisdom and fullness of life. And the book repeatedly shows us that we must live according to God's ways by being people who are full of ethics and people who will represent justice and we care for the weak and the impoverished. Even if society at large doesn't or might tell us otherwise, we are the people who say we're going to step into what, how God would have us live. So we're almost ready to, BJ, I can see him writing furiously over here, getting all your texts. And so b before he comes up here to kind of see whether, how this is going to go, because we had a great time last night, but I don't know about this crowd, whether we can do it well today or not. Two rules for you as we step into this. One is that interpreting problems is not about, it's not about rules. Sometimes people say, well, I have to do exactly what Proverbs says because it's a rule. No, these are not rules. These are not commandments. Jesus has commands. Love God, love your neighbor. That's a command. These are observations of life. In other words, these are oral. It comes from an oral tradition where um, Solomon and the other two writers are saying, under most circumstances, this is what I've seen and this is what I've observed. So rule number one for interpreting Proverbs is to recognize they are observations. Rule number two is what we're putting into play today is that despite my very aged age, I don't know everything. So if we get to a proverb that you pull up that I can't explain, that's really good news. You know why? That means God's work and God's word is far beyond my limited intelligence. And that's the kind of God I want to serve. I want to serve a God who is bigger than my small brain. So sometimes I might not understand some things. So um, with that in mind, come on up, BJ, because here's what we're doing. The book of Proverbs says that the glory of young men is their strength, but gray hair is the splendor of the old. Well, apparently these days I've got, got a little bit of splendor. Let's see what we can do. So, welcome, BJ. All right. What, what have you got for us? So, apparently one guy here in the crowd is dying to ask, Proverbs 21:19. what's the meaning of this? 21. 21:19. It says, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. True. Next True. one. True. Okay. All right. <laughs> Apparently there's a common theme here. Proverbs 25, 24, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Well, that's true as well. <laughs> Sit down. Okay. So, <laughs> so, 
I don't know that truth, to be honest. Me neither. Okay. I need to make that very clear. <laughs> and it, frankly, it, it explains a very clear understanding of what we need to do with the book of Proverbs, that these aren't rules. Because if you were to take that, like, I've got to live, on the, live with my feet hanging over the gutter of the, of the roof if I've got a, a nagging wife. Well, that's, 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 not the, that's, that's an observation, man. If you've got a, a situation in your relationship where you know, either spouse is just out to lunch, going and putting your feet over the edge of the roof is not the way to deal with it. And that's what, so if you make it a rule, then you say, man, we get, we get problems in our marriage, then one of us has to go live on the roof. No, that's not good. That's misinterpreting Scripture. What, what this is an observation saying under many circumstances, if there's problems in a relationship in a marriage, we've got to figure it out because the, re, the alternative is we're going to be in a very, very difficult spot. So it's one of those ones where you have to, you have to be careful how you apply Scripture to understand it in its, in its presentation, not in its literal example. All right, moving All right. on. So uh, Joe asks, uh, Proverbs 17, 17, oh boy. which says... All right, I got it. You got it, all right. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. So his question is, what is the difference between a friend and a brother? Sometimes nothing, sometimes a great deal. Um, a friend is someone you choose. A brother is someone you're just handed. And sometimes a brother can bring you great adversity and you can't walk away from it. You can't walk away from it because it's family, it's blood, and somehow or other that relationship is with you at all times. A friend who goes awry, you can, so to speak, walk, walk away. On the other hand, um, what they're saying is you choose your friends, and if, if you're working at it correctly, this, is, this love is going to be in place for the rest of your life. I'll say this, that I have um, lifelong friends. It was my pleasure to be in Poland on your behalf just a few weeks ago. And I saw people that I hadn't seen since, my, since I was 23, 24 years of age, 40 years ago. And we picked up like it was just yesterday. It was just that commonality, that sort of, man, this is the way life is. And we, we would sit around the two occasions we had dinner together, just sat around the table and laughed and cried. That sort of friend is somebody who can never be replaced. A brother, um, it's not always that way. But on the other hand, you could take, if you could flip this, this proverb the other way and say, man, when I'm, a, when I'm in a position of adversity, I need my brother. A friend may not be able to come to, to my aid, but my brother, because of the blood between us, will absolutely come. So this, I, I, this proverb could go two different ways depending on where, how you want to apply it. Again, I think what we're seeing here is that the book of Proverbs is this understanding of how to live life and how as you live life, there are some, just some general observations. What else you got, bud? All right, so uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So this is often quoted, but what happens if it doesn't hold true? Well, again, this is a hard one. There are, there are adults here today 
and you've raised your kids in church, and you're wondering why they're not following Christ today. And you go, man, I, I, I want to live, I want to live, what, what, what's the verse number? Uh, 22 6. 22 6. We started them off right, but they, they've not turned out so far right. Well, first of all, we have to remember <clears throat> there's grace for all settings in life. And so you don't know what's going to, long after you're gone, you don't know what's going to occur in that child's life. And then again, sometimes, I mean, we have had situations in the life of our church where we've seen adult children far from Christ lose their lives over this, that, or the other. And those funerals are very, very difficult because you go, I can't with assurance say that that person was in a relationship with Christ when he or she died. So it's one of these deals where, okay, this is a general understanding. You start your kids well, you're going to have a better chance at seeing them follow Christ. Is this a promise or is this an observation? I like to lean in the promise side of it, but I have some situations where I know the promise didn't play out the way I would think it would. And part of the issue there is we live in a fallen world. We live in, and that language means we live with the direct results of sin still being made evident in our lives as individuals and in our families' lives. And our children sometimes will make decisions that might impact them long-term that we're going to go, man, this, how is this going to turn out? I could say that I spoke with a woman recently who um, has, I don't know, maybe 13, 15 grandchildren. Some of them, I mean, they're, most of them are they're, they're all adults as I think about it. Some are walking with Christ and some are not. And, and her question is, how is this going to come out? Well, I've noticed in recent years as they're moving into their 30s, a lot of them are beginning to turn to the ways of Christ. And so the conviction for this woman is, in the long run, this is going to turn out. When we raised our kids, we have to, I mean, candidly, if I can, Leslie and I raised Jacqueline and Ben in the church with the understanding they're going to follow Christ. But they have to make their own decisions for that. I'm glad that, in, in our case, both kids are walking with Christ and raising their children in church and so that they would know the things of Christ. But I know that that story is not always the experience of everyone. And in those moments, man, I just... When I've done those funerals, I've I got to cover, put a big blanket of grace over that and say, it's not up for me to decide. Here's what I know about that person when, when he or she was little. They gave their lives, their hearts to Christ. They got baptized. They walked it out in their teens and something went awry along the way. I'm going to leave that between God and them. I'm not the judge. As painful as that is, I have to live there. Let's move. And who we can, does it feel unsettled? It does. I mean, even as I'm saying this, I know it feels unsettled, but we live in this unsettledness. The, the business of faith is at times unsettled. We've, this is where trust and say, God, you're in charge, I'm not. That's where we live it out. So it's, it can be hard, absolutely. All right, so this has to do with children, but actually uh, there's, there's a bigger message here. <clears throat> um, Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 says this. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. <clears throat> and so Joe asks, how do we change a culture in and out of the church of entitlement and fear of discipline 
both between parents and children and between God and us. Okay, so is this, is this, is this proverb telling you to beat your kids? No. No, it's not. Obviously, it's not. It's, it's talking about discipline. We tend to focus, when we read that, we tend to focus on, are we beating them with a leather strap or with, a, with bamboo sticks or a ruler? Or, no, it's not, that's not the point. The point is discipline. And we have to be really careful how we manage this because if we get this out of context, it can be problematic. If we make this a rule, then what are we going to, we're going to beat kids, and that's not right. Particularly if you think about, um, Scripture also says that parents... Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, he says, parents, don't exasperate your children. Uh, don't, don't discipline them to the point where they resent you. Whereas in some cases, you, if you over-discipline like, and, and just follow Proverbs, you know, this, this Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 23, to the letter of the law, you over-discipline your kid, and they resent you, and probably in the long run, resent your faith. You know, I'm beating you because the Bible says I'm supposed to beat you. Well, how helpful is that? Scripture says to parents, don't exasperate your children. Don't bring them to the point where they just don't want anything to do with your faith. But on the other hand, it says to children, honor your father and mother. It's interesting to, to me that when um, Moses gives the Ten Commandments, he doesn't say love your mother and father. Some of you here today may have parents that are not very loving and not worthy, or you can't get to the place where you love them. But can you honor them? You can do things for your parents and about your parents without necessarily having to love them. You can honor them. And, I, and for some of you, you may need to differentiate between, man, dad was such a son of a gun. <laughs> Put it that way. That I, I don't know if I could ever love him. But you, can you honor him? Can you honor him? Can you say, hey, that alcoholism just mess with our relationship all of our lives. But even as an adult, I'm going to honor him somehow, and then you find a way to do that. I, there's this idea of a ba balance and, and how, you, how you live your life in a way that, again, what's the goal? The goal of Proverbs is to say, honor God in everything you do. And I'm not so certain that just beating your kid mercilessly, merciless, without mercy, I don't know how that word is said, I don't see how that honors God. So, but discipline your children? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but I, I'll, it seems to me in years past, the church has misused this particular proverb. There used to be a, um, a man of well, who was well-known in, in the United States here. He used to have a, an event called the Institute of Basic Youth Conflict. Some of you may know that. And man, they would just land on that. And I was always, when I heard that, I always go, Man, are, we, are you condoning child abuse because the way he came on it so strongly? I just go, mm. find the balance where you take care of your kids so they'll take care of you. So you, this honor and this relationship back and forth together. I mean, we have the example today, Mother's Day. For some people, it's easy to love their mothers. Others, it's not so easy. How do we do all that together? The question is, honor God. All right, uh, Proverbs eleven six. The righteous... Sorry, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. And so the question is, um, is this God's provision or natural consequences on both sides? Probably both. The righteous of the upright delivers them, 
but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Generally. And sometimes it doesn't always play out in this life. I think about the war that's taking place in Ukraine right now. I think we're pretty clear as to who the righteous people are and the unrighteous people are. In some cases, the righteous ones are the ones dying. So you go, how is this working out? How is this, how is this, how is this passage of Scripture even true? Well, again, this is a general observation. You live your life the right way, God's going to watch over you. You have to take into account the fact that there's sin in this world and there is evil in this world, and sometimes the, the righteous are going to suffer the results of someone else's sin. That's in this life. Remember, we, we, we're, we're sort of a blip on the screen. Our lives are really important before God. We're made in the image of God. But in the context of time, eternity, we're, we're right now in a little bit blip on the screen. I'm so glad that God honors each blip but we have to get a long-term view. And that's sometimes hard. One more, and we've got to call okay. this a day. Um, so Proverbs 10, 18 says this. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. And it so this, this person, asks, I'll, read, I'll read it one more time. Uh, Proverbs 10, 18. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. And so this person asks, how does this play out today? Well, social media. How often, I, I, maybe here's a comment that I would venture to guess that part of the struggle that we have with the United States at present regarding the right and the left and the yelling at each other about any number of matters, you name them, whatever the social issue is of the day, what unfortunately would appear to me is that Christians have gotten in the middle of that. And in an effort to demand our rights and our right to speak as Americans, as a friend of mine has said recently, Jody Owens, some of you may remember him, we had him here last August. Sometimes we let our ideology get in front of our theology instead of letting our theology rule our ideology. And we're so concerned about our ideology being made known that we forget that we're supposed to be loving at the same time. And the result is we get online and we copy-paste things that are lies or copy-paste these anger things and we end up looking like fools. I wonder how our world or how our nation would be different today if throughout, let's say, the last four years, if Christians had responded in love instead of um, diatribes. Well, we need to stop right there. Whew, that's a heavy one to stop on. Can you all thank BJ? Here, here's, what I, here's what, again, what I want you to understand. That the main theme of Proverbs is this. That wisdom comes from revering and trusting God. And that our actions, and as people look at us, and if they make Proverbs of our lives, our actions reflect our inner character. And then our inner character should also be played out in their actions. We are to honor God by our lives and follow his wisdom. And if when we do that, we expect God, and scripture says over and over again, God's blessings and God's eternity is there in front of us. And so the question is, what are we doing planting? That's what Proverbs asks. 
What, how are we plant, what seeds are we planting in our lives? Like, I want you to take a look at a photo from my homeland in Australia. This is a photo of Manly Beach. Just out, there's no women allowed. That's why it's called, no, it's, I don't know why it's called, Man, I have no idea why it's called Manly Beach. It's, some of you may have heard of Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach, this is Manly Beach. It's just up, just a bit north of, Man, of Bondi. And I want you to notice, the reason I had them put that photo up is for, notice all the, palm, the uh, pine trees. Those pine trees are not indigenous to the beach. They're not even indigenous to Australia. Why are there a bunch of pine trees planted along that beach in Manly and many other beaches across uh, east, the beaches of Austra West, Eastern Australia? Here's what happened. In the early days of um, Australia's um, development by Europeans, we have to acknowledge there were Aboriginal people there beforehand, but as the Europeans arrived, they came on ships. This is at the end of the um, 1700s into the 1800s. And um, there were these large ships that would come, but they would come all the way from Europe, and they're coming all the way across the equator, across the Pacific, or coming around South Africa, whatever the case may be. And they are suffering all the way through storm after storm. And the concern was, will our, will our ship get us there? Those ships, the main mast was three feet around. And it went, they went 108 feet up in the air. And at the time, the only source of um, timber for those ships was in Riga, Russia, way up in the northern hemisphere. So if you lose your mast somewhere down in the southern hemisphere, what are you going to do? Well, Captain Cook in 1774, is sailing past an island off the coast of Australia known as Norfolk Island now. And he noticed on Norfolk Island there were pine trees there that were real tall and straight. So his men went over to Norfolk Island and they collected seedlings. And when they got to Australia, they planted those seedlings up and down the beaches of Australia with this idea in mind. We don't need a new mast right now. But there might be a time when we're back here in 30 years or 40 years, or when someone else is back here in 30, 40, or 40 years, and they will, their ship will be demolished and demasted, we'll plant something that they can use for later. Great story, right? Here's why. That's my understanding of what's going on in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was planted some 3,000 years ago, and we're still the ones waiting to see how the results play out. As a matter of fact, we're planting things in our lives today that we're going to find the results in years ahead. Some of you are young enough that you will see what happens in 40 or 50 years from now based on what you're planting in your life right now. Others, how you're living today is based in some ways on what you planted 30 years ago. So the question is, what are we planting? What, what are we sticking into the ground of our, into the soil of our lives for the sake of the future? My prayer for you and my prayer for, for me, that regardless of your age, regardless of your, uh, the level of your scriptural wisdom or your literacy of the Bible, if you will, and whether you have the strength of the youth or the um, splendor of the gray hair of years, this is my prayer. That God's grace will be planted in you to greater depths today and in the days ahead. Let's pray together. Father, your word always teaches us and always intrigues us. And that's certainly the case today. Um, Lord, I ask that you would gracefully work in our lives. The truth of the matter is, um, regardless of our 
intellect or our emotional uh, quotient or where we, or the stage we find ourselves in life. The reality is today we are aware there's still more to learn and there are still things that um, we'd like to know, things that we would like to um, put into practice in our lives so that we would honor you more accurately, more completely, and so that there'd be some integrity between what's inside and how we, how we live, and then how we live and what's inside, either way. I pray you would work that out within us today through Jesus Christ. Bring his work into our, the very depths of our souls through a graceful work. We pray this in his name. Amen.